0: Hi listeners, it's Lainey from Parcast with a Valentine's Day gift just for you. It's a special three-part crossover from my series Crimes of Passion that takes a closer look at the disturbing effects of catfishing. What happens when someone's online deceptions turn deadly? Stay tuned. And for more tales of relationships gone terribly wrong, be sure to follow Crimes of Passion free on Spotify. Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder, assault, and pregnancy loss. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Nestled in the northeastern corner of Tennessee, around 2,500 people called Mountain City home in the early 2000s. It was the kind of place where everyone knew each other and nobody hesitated to offer their neighbor a helping hand. As people drove along the tree-lined streets into the small downtown square, they passed a sign that read, Welcome to Mountain City, a friendly hometown. But in 2010, the wholesome community was held hostage by an aggressive internet troll. A faceless villain flooded local message boards with cruel insults and eventually death threats. When the culprit was finally unmasked, it turned out that it wasn't a troll at all. It was a catfish. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. This is the second episode in a special three-part series on catfishing. Over the next two weeks, we'll explore how people use the internet to assume fake identities. Some catfish act out of loneliness or insecurity, while others have more sinister intentions. You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week... We'll cover the Facebook murders. In 2012, two people were killed in their home in Mountain City, Tennessee. When investigators dug into the crime, they uncovered a bizarre conspiracy involving a CIA agent, hundreds of emails, and a catfish at the center of it all. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
1: This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And, of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush
2: Join me as I read the creepiest urban legends, folk tales, and ghost stories that I learn on my travels around the world and that we receive from listeners like you. But only if you think you can handle it. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sweet
0: screams. As we saw in the tall, hot blonde case... Even catfishing schemes that begin with innocent intentions can get out of hand fast. Disaster is just a few clicks away, so why do people catfish in the first place? A 2019 study looked at the personalities and motivations of 27 self-proclaimed catfish. More than two-thirds of them expressed a desire to escape from their real lives, 41% cited loneliness as the driving factor behind their behavior. One third said they felt dissatisfied with their physical appearance. Perhaps surprisingly, a third also admitted they felt guilty about tricking people. They often wanted to come clean, but didn't know how. The numbers might make Catfish look somewhat sympathetic, but these fraudsters don't always act out of insecurity. According to Dr. Chris Hand, a psychology lecturer at the University of Glasgow, catfish tend to score highly on the dark triad scale. This is a measure of people's narcissism, psychopathy, and willingness to manipulate others. In other words, people who deceive others online might have other alarming personality traits, and that doesn't bode well for the people who fall into their traps. The victims of catfish also share certain personality traits. In 2020, a group of researchers tried to figure out why some people fall for online scams. According to them, catfishing victims are more likely to be impulsive and romantic. They may also have addictive personalities and codependent tendencies. Once a catfish lures a victim in, they use manipulation tactics to gain trust and get what they want, be that love, money, or power. In the tall, hot Blonde case, both catfish exploited one another for romance and attention. In the case we're looking at today, the Facebook murders, a single schemer manipulated people into doing their bidding. It all started in 2009 in Mountain City, Tennessee. One day, Tracy Greenwell showed up for her shift at the Mountain City Pharmacy. She pulled her blonde hair into a ponytail and clipped on her name tag. As she stocked shelves, a regular customer came in. Tracy had never spoken to the woman, but she knew her name from gossip around town. It was 29-year-old Janelle Potter. Janelle was a bit of an outcast in Mountain City. Almost everyone who lived in the small town had grown up there, but Janelle was from Philadelphia. She'd moved to the area about five years prior, And in all that time, she hadn't managed to make a single friend. Tracy watched Janelle approach the pharmacy counter. She'd heard through the grapevine that Janelle had a number of health problems like diabetes and learning disabilities. She didn't work or drive and wasn't able to live alone. Even though she was 29, she stayed with her parents. And because she was chronically ill, Mr. and Mrs. Potter were very protective of her they treated her more like a preteen than a woman who was going on 30. On top of that, Janelle's appearance made her stand out. At nearly six feet tall and with an oddly childlike voice, she tended to draw attention wherever she went. That day, Tracy felt a pang of sympathy. It could be difficult to make friends in a new place, especially a town as tight-knit as Mountain City, And it must be even harder for someone like Janelle. So as Janelle made her way towards the exit, Tracy caught up with her. She made polite conversation and as they talked, Tracy realized that Janelle was actually nice. All the gossip and her height had made her seem unapproachable, but Janelle just needed someone to help bring her out of her shell. So Tracy gave Janelle her phone number Just like that, the two women became friends. Before long, Tracy invited Janelle to go shopping with her at the mall. It might've seemed like a simple invitation, but for Janelle, going out with friends was very complicated. Sources are fairly vague about Janelle's health, but we do know that she had type one diabetes. This condition develops in childhood, meaning she'd been living with it for most of her life. And although diabetes isn't a mental health condition, it can have psychological impacts. According to a 2005 study from the Journal of Adolescent Health, living with diabetes can influence family dynamics and social relationships. In the study, participants revealed that diabetes renders them as other. This stigma can be difficult to deal with For Janelle, it wasn't just her chronic illness that made her feel like an outcast. It was also the way her parents reacted to it. They were overbearing. It came from a place of love, but that didn't make it any easier for her to deal with. On the day of their mall trip, Tracy pulled up to the Potter's ranch house. Janelle's father, Buddy, was standing outside. He was a serious gray-haired man and built like a tank. He'd once been a Marine. As he patrolled his home with a gun on his hip, he still looked the part. Buddy gave Tracy a hard stare. He asked her a slew of questions, where they were going, who they'd be with, and when they'd be back. Because Janelle didn't have a cell phone, he got Tracy's number. If she was even a few minutes late, Buddy would be calling. Janelle needed someone responsible to look after her, Tracy would only get one chance to prove she was trustworthy. Tracy took it all in stride. With her word that she'd keep an eye on Janelle, Buddy finally let the pair leave. As the women drove off, Janelle's cheeks burned with embarrassment. She apologized for her dad and quickly changed the subject, mentioning how excited she was to check out different stores at the mall. Tracy gave her a mischievous grin. They weren't headed to the mall. They were going to JT's, a local bar with countless beers on tap, where all Tracy's friends were waiting. Tracy was smiling, but Janelle felt sick to her stomach. She didn't want to imagine how angry her father would be if he found out she'd gone to a bar. She couldn't believe Tracy was dragging her into something like this. Part of Janelle wanted to ask her new friend to drop her back off at home. But another part of her knew that this was a huge opportunity. For the past five years, she'd been stuck at home with no friends except her stuffed animals. Her entire life, she'd been treated like a child. Now she actually had the chance to fit in. She couldn't pass it up. So Janelle swallowed hard and told Tracy she was along for the ride. When they got to JT's, Tracy bought herself and Janelle a pair of beers. Janelle sipped her drink and cringed. She wanted to spit it out, but she was determined to seem cool and casual. Tracy led Janelle to a table of people in their late 20s and early 30s and introduced them one by one. These were her friends. Now, Janelle was one of them. Janelle was ecstatic at the warm welcome but was a little overwhelmed by all the people. She hardly remembered any names. Only one person stuck out, Tracy's brother, Billy Payne. Billy was 34 years old with dirty blonde hair and bright blue eyes. He was tall and slender, dressed in a button-up and a belt with a large round buckle. Janelle's heart skipped as she watched him buy drinks at the bar, She'd never been allowed to date, but Billy struck her as the kind of person she'd like to go out with. Tracy was skeptical. People in Mountain City knew Billy as a womanizer. Tracy probably didn't want her new friend to get hurt. As they drove home later that evening, Tracy gave Janelle a warning. Don't think about Billy. He'd only bring her trouble. But Janelle didn't listen. As soon as she got home, she opened up her laptop and sent Billy Payne a friend request on Facebook. She also added the rest of her new friends. Then she stayed up, scrolling through Facebook for hours. Because she was chronically ill and her parents kept her so isolated, the internet was Janelle's window to the outside world. This isn't uncommon. According to a 2021 study by psychologist Dr. Carrie Wilson and Dr. Jennifer Stock, Social media can have important benefits for people who are chronically ill. For Janelle, adding people from Mountain City on Facebook was a big deal. Their online connection almost felt more real than the drinks they'd shared at JT's. She was finally starting to feel like she fit in. Even better, Janelle's parents encouraged her new friendships. Over the next few months, they trusted Tracy more and more, they didn't know she and Janelle went to bars. They just knew that every time Janelle spent time with her new friends, she came back with a huge smile on her face. And Tracy always brought Janelle home on time. As Janelle grew closer to her new friends, a rumor spread that she had a crush on Billy Payne. Everyone except Janelle knew that a romance with Billy would end in heartbreak. Rather than let her friend pine over her brother, Tracy decided to intervene by playing matchmaker. One day, she looked over the group, considering who might get along with Janelle, and her gaze fell on her cousin, Jamie Curd. It was an unlikely match. Jamie was a bit rough and tumble, a hard worker whose hands always seemed to be dirty. But he was a gentleman. He might be able to sweep clean-cut Janelle off her feet, Tracy set the couple up, and before long, Jamie and Janelle were spending a lot of time together. Because Janelle's parents wouldn't let her date, her relationship with Jamie blossomed in secret. He came to her house and pretended to be fixing up the Potter family's computer. When Buddy and his wife Barbara stepped into another room, Jamie and Janelle stole kisses. Eventually, he gave her a cell phone, That way, they could call and text each other behind her parents' backs. It seemed like a turning point for Janelle. She was no longer an outcast. She didn't just have friends. She had a boyfriend. The pair talked on the phone every day and texted almost constantly. But even as Janelle told Jamie goodnight, she fell asleep thinking about Billy Payne. Coming up... Tensions rise in Mountain City, and an internet troll emerges. Love. It's been
2: the subject of poems, novels, music, and film. It's also been the driving force behind some of the most horrendous crimes in history. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Join me for Season 2 of Criminal Couples, and meet the lovers who took their passion to perilous lengths. Featuring standout episodes from female criminals, serial killers, solved murders, and crimes of passion, this season of Criminal Couples gets to the heart of what makes two turn to a life of murderous crime. Some couples were set off by revenge or greed. Others were fueled by sex and drugs. All acted in the name of love. Discover the darker side of desire in season two of the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Follow for free and tune in every Monday only on Spotify.
1: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details.
0: Now, back to the story. By the spring of 2010, 30-year-old Janelle Potter was dating Jamie Kurd. It was a big change for her, She was chronically ill, lived with extremely protective parents, and had only recently made friends in Mountain City, Tennessee. But though things were looking up, the situation was complicated. She had to keep her relationship a secret from her parents. And while she really liked Jamie, she still had feelings for his cousin, Billy Payne. She stayed up late at night, scrolling through pictures on Billy's Facebook page, wishing his profile said he was in a relationship with her. Janelle's unrequited feelings festered. Anytime the group hung out together, she had her eyes glued on Billy. She looked for any excuse to be near him. On Memorial Day in 2010, she and Jamie went to a barbecue at a local park. Everybody was there. Tracy, Billy, their other friends, and one woman Janelle didn't recognize. She was in her early 20s and thin with straight brown hair. Janelle watched her from a distance. Then, she saw Billy Payne put his arm around the mystery woman and kiss her. Janelle's stomach dropped. She grabbed Tracy's arm and asked who the woman was. Tracy said it was Billie Jean Hayworth, Billy Payne's new girlfriend. For Janelle, it felt like a punch in the gut, She burst into tears. Confused at his girlfriend's sudden outburst, Jamie asked what was wrong. Janelle couldn't answer. She finally just told him she wanted to go home. He walked her back to his car and dropped her off at her house. As soon as Jamie drove away, Janelle ran to her room, looked up Billie Jean Hayworth on Facebook and sent her a friend request. She scrolled through Billie Jean's profile obsessively. She couldn't help comparing herself to her crush's new girlfriend. She needed to know why he would choose Billie Jean over her. According to Carrie Wilson and Jennifer Stock, the authors of the 2021 study we discussed previously, social media networks can be positive, but they can also be destructive. Young adults who use social media more often were found to compare themselves to others more frequently. This kind of behavior can lead to envy, depression, and low self-esteem. The study suggests that social media requires balance. It's helpful for people to be aware of their online habits. That way they can step away from harmful content and gravitate towards more positive posts. But Janelle wasn't able to tear herself away from Billie Jean's profile. She scrolled through pictures until her jealousy twisted into rage. Eventually, she vented in the only way she knew how, online. One night, while Billy Jean, Billy Payne, Tracy, and a few other friends were hanging out at home, they scrolled through a website called Topics. It was a community forum where people who lived in the same area could interact. There was just one catch. Topics posts were anonymous. That night, a member of the group named Lindsay found a slew of horrible messages on topics. Someone wrote that she and Billie Jean Hayworth sold drugs and had sexually transmitted diseases. Another post said Billie Jean, quote, had sex with 80% of Mountain City. It was pretty obvious who had written the cruel messages, because further down, there were more positive posts all about the same person, Janelle Potter. One claimed she was a good girl who was brought upright. Billy Payne was furious. He knew Janelle had a crush on him, but he'd never reciprocated her feelings. It's not clear if he ever rejected her outright, but he certainly never gave her the impression that he was interested. Coming after his girlfriend was completely out of line. He wasn't going to let her get away with it. But his sister Tracy stepped in to calm everyone down. Janelle was sick, sheltered, and lonely. What she did was mean, but nobody in Mountain City would actually believe what she wrote. She probably just needed to get her frustrations out. Billy Payne nodded in agreement, but beneath the surface, his anger still simmered. And not long after the topics incident, Janelle's Facebook page was flooded with dozens of anonymous insulting messages. They said she was ugly and nobody liked her. Janelle deleted the posts as fast as she could, but they still got to her. She called Jamie in tears. She was certain that Billy Payne and Billy Jean were the ones cyberbullying her. Jamie tried to calm his girlfriend down, but Janelle felt sure the couple was out to get her. Over time, she grew increasingly afraid. Then one day she heard a thud outside her house. With her heart pounding, she ran outside to investigate. Laying in the yard, she found a large oval-shaped rock there were two names written on it in permanent marker, Billy Jean and Billie Payne. To Janelle, it seemed like a clear threat. She called the police. Officers took pictures of the rock, but without proof that Billy Jean and Billy Payne threw it at the Potter's house, they couldn't press any charges. Still, the situation left Janelle shaken. She retreated into her house, but kept an eye on her crush and his girlfriend. She stalked their Facebook pages, posted about Billie Jean on topics, and listened for any local gossip about the couple. Janelle looked on as Billy Payne and Billie Jean got more serious. Billy Payne had a reputation for running through women, but this time was different. By late 2010, the pair was engaged. The news hit Janelle like a ton of bricks. The way the couple's relationship was going, she'd never get to be with her crush. Then came the final nail in the coffin. Billy Payne and Billie Jean announced that they had a baby on the way. Janelle's heart was officially shattered. The only way she knew how to cope was by doubling down on her online bullying. Janelle trashed Billie Jean on topics, In return, her own Facebook page was littered with insults and vague threats. Soon enough, it was an all-out cyber war. Eventually, it became too much for the three of them to bear. Both sides unfriended each other, hoping that would be the end of it, but it wasn't. One night after dinner, Barbara Potter sat down at the family computer to check her email. At the top of her inbox was a message with the subject line, Urgent, top secret, from the CIA. Barbara almost laughed. In all, the subject line contained six exclamation points. It didn't exactly read like a message from a government official. But then again, Barbara had never been in the CIA. She didn't know how they typed, so she opened the message. It was from a man named Chris a CIA agent tasked with monitoring internet traffic across the United States. Recently, some suspicious things had been popping up near Mountain City. He claimed Billy Payne was a member of a dangerous drug gang and he had reason to believe Janelle could be a target of their violence. Chris said he didn't trust local law enforcement to keep Janelle safe, which was why he reached out to Barbara directly. The email seemed, absurd. Barbara knew Janelle had been in some online arguments with her friends, but she didn't know the details. She'd barely even heard the name Billy Payne. The idea that someone wanted to hurt Janelle was ridiculous. But Chris also included a photo of himself dressed in a CIA uniform. It looked legitimate to her. Barbara figured it was worth responding, just in case. She asked Chris to keep her in the loop about Billy Payne and his drug gang and told him she was willing to do anything to keep her daughter safe. As it turned out, Barbara wasn't the only one receiving messages from Agent Chris. So was Janelle's boyfriend, Jamie Curd. One day, he showed Janelle the emails and told her that Billy Payne and his drug gang were out to get her. Janelle's eyes welled up, The feud was just too much to bear. She thought Billy Payne and Billie Jean throwing rocks at her house had been extreme, but now they were talking about murder. The police hadn't helped her with the couple before. She was going to have to face this by herself. So Janelle ramped up her online harassment even further. Perhaps wanting to scare the couple or turn other people against them, she continued her tirades on topics after their baby was born in the summer of 2011. Janelle posted, Billy Jean, one day you are going to get beat up real good and left for dead and your baby. You won't leave here alive. Janelle had moved from cruel insults to actual death threats. Billy Payne couldn't stand it anymore. Janelle had crossed the line. He reached out to the only people who had the power to control her. Mr. and Mrs. Potter. He called their house and Buddy answered the phone. Billy Payne spilled everything, telling Janelle's father exactly what was going on. But Buddy was just confused by the whole thing. He called his wife over. For whatever reason, Barbara hadn't yet told her husband about the emails from Agent Chris. Buddy didn't know Billy Payne was a threat, but she did. Barbara grabbed the phone and told Billy he was the one harassing Janelle, not the other way around. She told him to never call them again. Then she slammed the phone down. After talking to Billy Payne, Barbara only got more worried. He'd sounded angry on the phone, maybe even furious enough to enact his deadly plan. And Barbara continued getting emails from Agent Chris, each one more frightening than the last. He didn't offer any proof, but he believed Billy Payne and his drug gang could strike at any moment. The only thing that brought Barbara Solace was the fact that her husband had been a Marine. Their home was stocked with weapons, and it was starting to look like they might actually have to use them. Barbara didn't want it to come to that, but she'd always been her daughter's protector. That wasn't going to stop now. Eventually, Barbara told Chris, we are ready to take care of this ourselves. I will kill if I have to. At Chris's suggestion, Barbara finally told Buddy everything. She printed out every email from the CIA agent, over 100 pages of correspondence, and said their daughter was in serious danger. She urged her husband to meet with the only other person Agent Chris trusted, Jamie Curd. Buddy drove to Jamie's house while Barbara stayed home, pacing anxiously. She thought about Buddy's vast collection of firearms. She knew that if it was a choice between Janelle's life or Billy Payne's, she'd choose her daughter every time. But Barbara was also a Christian woman. She didn't take things like this lightly. Perhaps to calm herself down, she got back on the computer and typed in the URL for a Christian theology blog she liked to read. Soon, she found an article that caught her attention. It was titled, Can God Forgive Murder? It's not clear exactly what Buddy Potter and Jamie Kurd spoke about that night. It's also difficult to know who was talking to whom about Agent Chris. It's possible that Barbara, Buddy, and Jamie kept the information from Janelle in an attempt to protect her. However, on January 30th, 2012, there must have been some sort of family conversation. The Potters invited Jamie to their home. They still didn't know that he'd been secretly dating their daughter for over two years. They just knew that Agent Chris appeared to trust Jamie, so they did too. That evening, Buddy asked Jamie if he'd accompany him on a ride. At some point, the two of them needed to go down Highway 67 and pass Swift Hollow Road. At the mention of that address, Janelle's ears perked up. That was exactly where Billy Payne and Billy Jean lived. Her father's voice sounded deadly serious. She asked why he would want to go to the couple's house, and her father told her not to worry about it. Jamie swallowed hard. He knew what Buddy was asking, and he felt the same way that Janelle's parents did. He would do anything to protect her. Jamie nodded his head. He told Buddy he'd get in the car with him anytime. All he had to do was ask. Up next, Jamie Curd makes good on his promise. By January 2012, Barbara and Buddy Potter were scared for their daughter's life. For the past two years, 32-year-old Janelle had been embroiled in an online feud with a local couple, Billy Payne and Billie Jean. Now it seemed like their online war was about to have real-life consequences. A CIA agent warned the Potters by email that Billy Payne was planning to murder Janelle. They had to do whatever they could to protect their daughter. As a former Marine, Buddy Potter was more than capable of keeping his family safe. He enlisted the help of Jamie Curd, Janelle's secret boyfriend and the only other person Agent Chris trusted. Around 4 a.m. on January 31st, Janelle Potter was awake in bed, scrolling through Facebook, She was finally starting to get tired, so she closed her computer and laid her head on her pillow. But noises from down the hall kept her awake. She could hear her father's voice coming from his bedroom. He was saying something about a favor and asking the person on the other line if they would go with him that morning. Janelle was able to connect the dots. She listened to her father get dressed. When he slipped out the front door and started his truck, Janelle sent Jamie Kurt a text message. At 4.39 a.m., she said, quote, he's leaving now, I hear the car. A few minutes later, Buddy Potter's truck pulled up outside Jamie's house. Jamie got into the passenger seat. Neither man said much of anything. Buddy drove until he reached the local church, which was on an elevated piece of land. It was still dark outside, but less than a quarter mile away, they could see Billy Payne and Billy Jean's home in the distance. They left the truck parked by the church and headed towards the house on foot. As they stepped through the grass, Jamie got chills. He was starting to regret his promise, but then he remembered Chris. This whole operation was backed, even encouraged, by the CIA. The men stepped into Billy Payne and Billy Jean's backyard. Buddy pulled a revolver out of its holster and placed it in Jamie's hands. Hesitant, Jamie followed Buddy to the couple's back door. Jamie stood stock still on the porch, frozen in fear. He kept watch outside as Buddy cracked open the door and tiptoed into the house. Buddy moved through the unfamiliar home. It didn't take him long to find the bedroom where the couple was sleeping. As soon as Buddy stepped inside, they bolted upright. They both let out terrible screams. Billie Jean jumped out of bed, grabbed their seven-month-old son, and fled from the intruder. Before Billy Payne could run, Buddy shot him a single time. Then, to make sure he was dead, Buddy pulled out a knife and cut his throat. Moving quickly, Buddy searched the house for Billie Jean. He found her down the hall, holding her child in her arms. He didn't show any pity. He shot Billie Jean and she fell to the ground, still cradling her crying baby. With both victims dead, Buddy cleaned up the evidence. He left behind no bullet casings, no fingerprints, not so much as a single hair. By 5.30 a.m., he and Jamie had disappeared from the crime scene. Jamie was already reeling with guilt but Buddy was at ease, certain he'd done what was necessary to protect his daughter. Five hours later, a local couple named Linda and Roy Stevens showed up at Billy Payne and Billy Jean's home to pick up some mail. The moment Roy stepped inside, he knew something was very wrong. They found Billy Payne's body on his bedroom floor. Barely able to speak, Linda called 911 and tried to explain what was going on. She told the operator there'd been a murder, and then she was interrupted by the sound of a baby crying. They sprinted towards the noise. Down the hallway, they found Billie Jean lying dead. The seven-month-old was alive, but he was now an orphan. Special agents Scott Lott and Mike Hannon from the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations arrived a short time later. Almost immediately, they noticed the murder had been carried out with near surgical precision. Whoever committed the crime had done so in the coldest, most calculated manner possible. And officers already had an idea of who was to blame. They knew Billy Payne and Billie Jean had been in arguments with Janelle Potter, and they knew her father Buddy had been a Marine. He had both the motive and training to carry out such a crime. The next day, February 1st, Agent Slot and Hannon questioned all three members of the family. Janelle, Barbara, and Buddy admitted they had run-ins with Billy Payne and Billy Jean, but they said they had no idea who killed them. The detectives left the Potters for the time being. Before long, they discovered that Janelle was secretly dating Jamie Curd. So they brought him in for questioning. At first, he denied any involvement in the crime, but after a few hours of interrogation, Jamie cracked. He admitted that he'd been the lookout while Buddy Potter shot the young couple. That was one confession down. All Agent Slott and Hannon needed was the same thing from Buddy. With Jamie's cooperation, they set up a sting operation, Jamie called Buddy and asked if he'd gotten rid of everything from Billy Payne's house. After a tense pause, Buddy said, Yes, that was enough for authorities to make an arrest. But before Jamie left the interrogation room, he had a question. He wanted to know if anyone from the CIA was around. Agent Slott and Hannon just stared at him. It was a bizarre thing to ask. They told him, no, there weren't any CIA agents at the station. Why would there be? Slightly confused, the officers left to arrest their second suspect. On February 7, 2012, the police hauled in Buddy Potter. Inside his home, they found countless knives and firearms. They also discovered a bunch of photographs of Billie Jean Hayworth that had been printed off the internet. Some of the pictures were torn. Others had insults written on them in permanent marker. Outside in the bed of Buddy's truck, police uncovered three trash bags filled with shredded documents. They were completely illegible, but the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations set to work putting them back together. Meanwhile, Agent Slot and Hannon interrogated Buddy Potter. With so much evidence stacked against him, it didn't take long for him to confess. As Jamie and Buddy awaited trial, officers combed through evidence. It took a while, but they eventually reconstructed the papers in Buddy's truck. They turned out to be hundreds of emails. They revealed not only Barbara Potter's involvement in the case, but also that of a self-proclaimed CIA agent named Chris. It was clear that Agent Chris had been the driving force behind the crime, but there was no way he was actually from the CIA. His emails were riddled with spelling and grammar mistakes. The claims he made about Billy Payne and his drug gang were completely baseless. His messages were nothing more than fear-mongering. Most importantly, in between Agent Chris's calls to violence, The emails praised Janelle Potter for her kindness and bravery. Like the anonymous posts on topics, it was obvious who the real author was. To prove it, investigators tracked the IP address of Chris's emails. Every single one originated from Janelle's laptop. And when a forensic analyst compared Janelle's writing and speech patterns to those of Chris, he found they were identical. To no police officer's surprise, the so-called CIA agent was a catfish. Janelle, the sick sheltered woman Tracy took pity on, had orchestrated the murder of two innocent people. But why? By most accounts, Janelle's infatuation with Billy Payne drove her behavior. Her parents kept her so sheltered growing up that when she finally had her first adult crush, she had no idea how to handle her feelings. It got even worse when Billy Payne chose another woman over her. A crush turned to an obsession. Romantic jealousy morphed into murderous rage. Janelle didn't shoot the gun, but she had blood on her hands. The emails might have been the most baffling part of the crime. To police, they were obviously fake. Yet buddy Barbara and Jamie were so convinced by them that they were willing to commit murder. It's likely that fear clouded their logic. Perhaps in their minds, even if Chris's emails didn't look totally legitimate, it was better to follow his orders than risk Janelle getting hurt. Ultimately, police agreed that Buddy, Barbara, Jamie, and Janelle all bore responsibility for the murder. In October of 2013, Buddy and Jamie went to trial. Jamie took a plea deal and was given 25 years behind bars. A jury found Buddy guilty of first-degree murder, for which he received two life sentences. Over a year later, Barbara and Janelle appeared before a judge and jury, The prosecution charged both women with first degree murder, though neither was present during the crime. They were given the same charge as the one who pulled the trigger. Some people thought this was a bit extreme, but the prosecution asked the jurors to consider whether or not the double homicide would have ever happened without Barbara and Janelle. In the jury's eyes, the answer was unequivocally, no. Both women were found guilty. The judge sentenced both to life in prison. In July, 2021, Barbara and Janelle appealed their convictions. They claimed that because Barbara and Buddy had the same lawyer, there had been a conflict of interest. Janelle's appeal was rejected, but on November 10th, 2021, Barbara accepted a deal and pleaded guilty. Her sentence has been changed to 25 years in prison. She'll be eligible for parole after serving at least 30% of the time. Janelle Potter's catfishing scheme didn't just destroy her life. It landed three others in prison, ended the lives of two innocent parents, and left a child orphaned. And questions remain. Like Thomas Montgomery in the tall, hot blonde case, Janelle seemed to be motivated by romantic jealousy However, it's difficult to understand Janelle's evolution from a sweet, soft-spoken loner to the mastermind of such a haunting crime. There is one possible explanation. At her trial, Janelle's lawyer argued that due to her learning disability, she, quote, operated at the level of an eight or nine-year-old. Barbara also went on the record saying that Janelle was, quote, young in her mind. These statements make it seem possible that Janelle wasn't fully aware of the potential consequences of her scheme. Maybe she thought her family would never actually fall for the emails. Perhaps she was only trying to make people hate Billy Payne and Billie Jean. But Janelle's lawyer and mother both had reasons to try to downplay her guilt. There's no consensus on how Janelle's learning disability might or might not have contributed to her crime. All we know for certain is that Janelle incited her family's violence, and now she's paying the price. In both the Tall Hot Blonde case and the Facebook murders, catfishing schemes led to murder. But unlike Thomas Montgomery, Janelle Potter didn't wield a gun. Instead, she was backstage pulling the strings. In the next episode, We'll talk about another catfish who stayed behind the scenes. The Ghost of Easterville was the ultimate puppet master. Until they got caught. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We'll be back Wednesday with the third and final episode of our catfishing special. We'll cover our most shocking case yet the Ghost of Easterville. We'll see how an online relationship devolved into a sordid tale of fraud, blackmail, and public defamation. For more information on the Facebook murders, among the many sources we used, we found Murder Thy Neighbor by James Patterson extremely helpful to our research. You could find more episodes of Crimes of Passion as well as all other Spotify originals from Parcast on Spotify or your favorite podcast directory. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Scott Stronic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Karis Allen, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon and Terrell Wells, fact-checking by Haley Milligan, and research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. I'm Lainey Hobbs.
2: It's been said that love is a many-splendored thing. That is, until it's not. In season two of Criminal Couples, discover true stories of couples who turned their love lives into a life of crime. Lies and deceit are just the beginning. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Catch new episodes every Monday, free and only on Spotify.